Greg Manis is an actor and aspiring writer. His father was in the military, so while he was born in the Netherlands, his family moved around every couple of years. Because of this, Greg found it difficult to put down roots and make friends. They finally settled down in South Carolina, where Greg would go to college and first discover acting. Initially seeing it as a way to avoid academics, he slowly began to take it more seriously. Immediately after graduating, Greg led out for Los Angeles to pursue a career as an actor. With no real experience prior to arriving in L.A., Greg started from scratch. Eventually, his journey would send him on the move again to Atlanta, New Orleans, and New York City. But now, Greg is back in Los Angeles with more insight and clear purpose, and now he's ready to use his art to make a difference. I'm Bobby Gonzalez, and this is Spoken Dreams. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hey everyone, I'm Greg Manis. I'm an actor, an aspiring writer, I'd say. And I'm originally, not really from anywhere in particular. My dad was in the military, so I was born in Cavorden, Netherlands. I was the first American born in this little farm town. And then we moved pretty much every two years around Europe and then back to the States, so in Germany, Detroit, Washington, D.C., South Carolina, Utah. Yeah, so it was a strange experience kind of growing up and, and having everything changed because it took about a year to get any friends. And then once you had friends, you know, you left after about a year. So uh, it, was, it was a tough sort of upbringing, but it was really, you know, vivid and, and unique. And eventually my family sort of settled. My dad retired and, and they settled in South Carolina. And I went to a school called College of Charleston. And that's sort of where I discovered acting. Uh, my roommate at the time was a theater major, and he was like, yeah, acting's really great. You know, you lay on the floor and you breathe, and it's weird. And I'm like, oh, that sounds awesome, because I'm the opposite of math, whatever that is. So I started taking classes in acting, and again, I didn't necessarily like love it to begin with or even really understand it. I just loved the unorthodox uh, feeling of being in class as opposed to academia and then I just kept kept chugging along with it and it sort of became I won't say more fun but it really was nerve-wracking and exciting in a way that I'd never really experienced anything else all that time I had sort of been you know working and, and bartending and uh, as junior year rolled along I was like oh crap you know I'm going to graduate, and what am I going to do? So I sort of started thinking about acting more seriously, and, and I'd always had a lifelong love of, of movies. Um, I, growing up, moving every two years, again, not having a ton of friends, I watched a lot of movies, sometimes over and over. You know, I was like, okay, well, 
if I'm going to do something, you know, I want to go. I want to go make movies in some capacity. And I didn't really know any of the production jobs or anything, and I'd just done acting. And、uh, luckily for me, there was a production in town in Charleston called Army Wives, which was a, a lifetime show. And I happened to meet a guy who was a, a PA on it, and he said, "You know, you, I can get you on if you want to come intern or whatever." So I、uh, interned in the props department, and it was my first time really on set, seeing what what was going on. And I'd watch the actors kind of doing their thing, and I remember,、uh, I believe it was Sterling K. Brown. He was on that show as a series regular, and in the scene, the actors were like you know, jogging along the river, and they have a you know. Conversation about I don't know, something really important, but before the scene, he was running kind of in circles to keep his heart rate and his breath up, and I was really intrigued by that.、It、really captured my、um, my attention because I just thought it was so cool. I was like, yeah, of course, if he's running in the scene, he's going to come in out of breath, and he just like really did it to make it easier for himself. And so, I guess that's when acting kind of became more 3D for me. I realized that you can use yourself、uh, and your body and. Your emotions and everything that's going on with you、uh, as the character in the scene, which I guess I didn't really glean that from my my university classes. So, long story short, I decided to move to Los Angeles when I graduated from school and become an actor.、Um, so I saved a bunch of money, which to me was you know I had like seven thousand dollars. To me, that was like a million dollars. I was like, I'll live forever on this. And、uh, yeah, literally, I, I walked across the stage. Got my degree, and the next day I already had my car packed with all my stuff. I'd sold all my furniture, and、uh, drove cross country the next day to Los Angeles to be an actor. Arriving in Los Angeles, it sort of felt like the Emerald City. You drive in, and there's the U.S. Bank building and and the skyline, and it was really it was really special and really cool. And a friend of mine. Had moved six months before me because I had to finish my degree. He decided he wanted to go ahead and push on out. So I drove into to Chinatown to pick him up from his little like basement apartment that he was in, living below some lady's house. And then he got us a place in an area of town called Sun Valley, which, you know, no offense to anyone that lives in Sun Valley, but it sounds really nice. You know, you hear of like Sun Valley, Idaho, like where people go, rich people go snowboarding and stuff. And、uh, so I was like, "Cool, that sounds great." And then we drove there, and I remember, you know, it was kind of sketchy. You know, driving in, there was like trash along the side of the road, and just kind of felt bleary and grayscale. And in the elevator going up to our apartment, kind of smelled like urine. And,、um, it wasn't what I imagined.、Uh, and I was like, "Okay, well, you know, here we are. This this is what it's like. You know, you got to start." Start at the bottom and see what happens. So coming in, it was sort of like I got both sides of the spectrum. You know, I got like the the hope and the optimism of the skyline, and and I made it. And then I got the urine elevator of like, this is what your life is going to be like for the foreseeable future. But it didn't it didn't worry me, man. You know, I was down for down for the journey. You know, I was just happy to be where I felt I was supposed to be at that moment in time. I've arrived in Los Angeles.、Uh, if I'm honest on my resume, I have zero credits. <laughs> I've done. I didn't even do a, a play in college. I did like performances in class, scenes and stuff. 
but I'd never done a full play or anything. And then you sort of have to figure out, okay, well, the next thing, because I've watched Entourage, the next thing is, is you get an agent. So how do I get an agent? Uh, and then I get on Actors Access, and I you know, upload my way too expensive headshot, and I started submitting for jobs, and you know, I wouldn't hear anything back, of course. And I would just send them out, you know, just shooting them off into the universe, spending that $7,000, you know. I probably sent out a couple batches of 50. I just submitted for anything and everything. I remember my first audition out here, I was like, you know, sweating palpably. And I went in and it was for NIFA. And I think in the scene, you know, the guy basically runs into the scene and finds his brother dead. He'd been run over by a car. And that's, that was the, the first scene I ever auditioned with. And I was like, all right, well, he definitely has to cry. You know, the old adage that somehow acting is equated to, to crying. I just ran in and dropped to my knees and mugged the shit out of it. Like, if you can act hard, you know, that was what I was doing. Um, but somehow, you know, I got the part, so that was my first film out here. Um, but I just kept doing that. I just kept doing that over and over and over and uh, taking every opportunity. I remember the first feature I ever booked was for a film called, and I can't believe I'm talking about this, but it was literally called Orgy of Blood. The worst thing you can imagine, but I just was always really optimistic about it. I was like, I love movies, okay, like vampires are super rad. This is before like Twilight and all that, so they still had some sort of mystique. And I ended up booking that movie, and I think that was the first time I really got paid for doing a movie. I got $200 a day, and I remember that was my first time really building a character. And uh, so we shot the film, and I mean, I saw some crazy stuff. I remember the producer was on drugs, on whatever. I don't, I don't know what a meth or, or something. And uh, I was just sort of like, holy shit, like, this is, this is real. This is Los Angeles. This is where this stuff happens. So it was, it was really, I mean, it sounds dark, but it was cool to be part of like, to be part of this world that I'd heard about. I mean, I didn't necessarily want to be making movies with like meth smoking producers, but I was making movies. And for me, that was really, really exciting. And uh, ended up, we shot that and then the director kept hiring me for stuff and he was like hey man like i really like your work and i was like really because i don't you know, i didn't say this but i don't know what i'm doing and uh yeah so i just made i don't know three or four or five more movies with that guy and i just kept learning you know sometimes i got paid sometimes i didn't i would try stuff and okay that didn't work or this worked or i felt i really felt that and um, and every time I was trying to build a different character and, and how can I do that and how do I figure it out I got in the union and uh, once I was in the union I was able to join uh, the SAG Conservatory which is up at AFI so and that's when I started making movies um, with the American Film Institute which was really awesome because whatever you want to say it is student filmmakers and whatever you want to say about the script there was really really high quality so I ended up you know, getting some really great footage and being able to cut together a pretty good reel. And, and with that, I was able to, you know, send that out and get agents and all that kind of stuff. After I made a handful of AFI films and uh, sort of continuing to refine my craft, I took classes, I mean, all over town, you know, Leslie Kahn, Margie Haber. I started studying at Stella Adler Conservatory, which is on Hollywood Boulevard. It's funny how when you when you progress and put time into your craft, uh, opportunities come uh, simultaneously. It's strange. It's definitely universal. Um, but I got the opportunity to play uh, the lead character uh, 
in a film called Richard the Lionheart. It was awesome. They flew me out to Italy and, and we shot this movie in, in real castles and um, it was a really amazing, seminal moment in my life that I'll remember forever. As, as we wrapped the film, I was like, okay, I'm gonna come back to Los Angeles and, and more of this. Uh, and that is not, not what happened at all. I got back and uh, I had a manager at the time and I believe I wasn't getting out at all with my agent. So then I ended up not having an agent for a while and just a manager. And I was getting out kind of few and far between and I auditioned at the time for, uh, for Deborah Quella who had an acting studio that she had started with Donna Morong. And I remember I went in there and there was like, I don't know, there was like 10 people in there and I just flamed out. That was really disappointing for me because coming back from that, I was Richard the Lionheart, you know? And then I came back and didn't even make it in the studio. So that was super disappointing and I felt really down. And, and I, it was like I had a problem and I didn't know how to fix it. You know, I'm like, I'm going to these classes. It was this anxiety that would come up. And, uh, you know, I hadn't quite solved the Rubik's Cube on how to enjoy performance outside of making the thing. So at this point in time, I hadn't really been able to, to bridge that gap. And so I really felt it. It was a real palpable way to say, you have not bridged this gap by not getting into that studio. Um, so that was, that was disappointing. And actually that sort of segued the next portion of my career, which was I moved out to Atlanta. Atlanta had started happening in the last couple of years and people were talking about it. And my parents still lived in South Carolina. So uh, I flew out to see my parents and I drove over to Atlanta and met with a couple agents. And uh, it was crazy because they all wanted to sign me. I was like, what is going on? Like, is no, I could not get arrested in LA. In Atlanta, they were like, yeah, yeah, come with us. And I was like, holy shit, like I, I, gotta, I get to choose, you know? Um, and then I came back and I was kind of thinking about it and one of the agents literally called me. and was like, hey, just thinking about you. Like, are you gonna go our way or what? And I was like, man. This is cool, you know, to feel to feel wanted. So I, I moved to Atlanta in uh, late summer 2013. And then, yeah, pretty much started getting out right away. I booked Vampire Diaries within a week of being there. The next year, I think a couple months later, I'd booked Selma, which was my first experience really working on something that I believed in. You know, I read that script and I cried. And uh, I feel really, to this day, I feel really honored and privileged to have been a part of it. At that time, which was 2013, there were, there's four major markets in the United States for TV and film. There's number one, Los Angeles, New York, Atlanta, and New Orleans. So Atlanta and New Orleans have sort of emerged because of these tax credits, right? These tax incentives the state offers so with a mind towards that, I got an agent in Atlanta and New Orleans. So the current dynamic at that time was all the auditions in Atlanta were on tape. And all the auditions in New Orleans were in person. So I remember I got my first audition down in New Orleans through my New Orleans agent for American Horror Story, the freak show season. And I remember driving down there, I think it was like, Man, it must have been one or two lines, you know, but it was like a really intense emotional scene. So I drive seven, seven and a half hours down to New Orleans. Thank God, you know, it, it went off. It happened. But, you know, 
you don't know when you're thinking about it for seven and a half hours, how, how's it gonna go? And then I drove back. Uh, and then, yeah, I just continued to get video auditions in Atlanta. And I was like, you know, I, I don't really need to be here. I didn't, no, no, you know, no shade to Atlanta, but I didn't love living there. And I went down to New Orleans, like I said, for this audition. And I, I stayed a night or two and it was just a, oh, it was just an amazing place. So I decided to, to move down to New Orleans and kind of do it vice versa, right? To do the in, in-person auditions in New Orleans, put the stuff on tape in Atlanta. And when I book in Atlanta, I, you know, drive up, shoot it, and drive back. So I moved down to New Orleans and uh, swung a lot and missed a lot there. I got some big opportunities uh, that, uh, you know, didn't go my way. Um, but I learned a lot from them. We got to shoot uh, a sequel to Richard the Lionheart. And when we were shooting that, I just felt, I saw we had all the components, you know? Uh, we had a great crew, we had a great cast, we had costumes and locations. And I just felt that there was a place for a story that I had in my mind that we could do kind of with the same, the same crew, the same components, the same director. Basically, I had like a vision of a guy running through the forest, uh, really gravely injured, running for his life. Uh, and I sort of had this, had this vision then. So I started writing the screenplay. Uh, and I sort of wrote it and worked on it as we finished that movie and then as I was in New Orleans. And in New Orleans, I finished it. And I felt like it was a really dynamic script. And I sent it off to a buddy of mine who's a producer out in Los Angeles. And he loved it. He was like, I, I, I want it, you know, so let's, let's develop it. So I was like, really? Just, just like that? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. So we start developing it and he sent out to some people and start getting notes back. And so I'm sort of, you know, drafting and redrafting as I'm still pursuing acting. Uh, I didn't book a lot when I was in New Orleans. And then around that time, Bobby Jindal wanted to run for president, who was the governor of Louisiana. So this is in the field with with Donald Trump and all of them in 2016. And I think one of the big things he wanted to sort of uh, stump and, and stand on was balancing the state's budget. And the way that he did that was cutting the film tax incentives. So, I mean, <laughs> it really devastated the film industry in New Orleans. Uh, everyone was super bummed out and production pretty much just ground to a, to a halt. And everyone was kind of like, what, what are we gonna do? And a lot of people moved to Atlanta, and then some people who were homeowners or whatever had a family, you know, they, they decided to weather the storm. I did not have a family, and I had agents in Atlanta, so I decided to move back to Atlanta, and I gave that another year, and again, was refining the story. And So I sort of learned through that process that I could write. It was that script and that sort of development process that I gained the confidence to continue to pursue writing, which was really, for me, I think when I learned what I was, which was someone that just needs to create. Uh, film was the medium I happened to choose, uh, and I was pursuing it as an actor, but when I don't have any auditions or I'm not doing anything, I'm, I'm bummed out, you know? And what writing gave me was a chance to always be creative every day. And so really my, my creative destiny is in my own hands. And that's the most remarkable thing about it. So whenever someone talks about another actor says, you know, Oh, I haven't had any auditions or my agent's not doing a good job. I'm like, well, what else? What else do you do? You know, do you paint? Do you sing? Do you play guitar? Like, 
what's your jam because you need that to to survive i think as an artist and just to keep your your spirits high you know i think at the end of the day it's all about making something whatever it is whatever your medium is I moved back to Atlanta, went through this development process, did a couple uh, little indie films, and still didn't love Atlanta as much as I wanted to. So uh, I decided to move to New York City. I had never been. I was still, you know, pseudo young. I think I was 30 at the time. And uh, I had writing now, so I I felt like I could go to New York and whatever happened, I could write and just get a job and survive that way, create and kind of make my way forward, maybe do more theater. Uh, So yes, I moved to New York uh, and kept writing. So I I cranked out, you know, I think two more more screenplays. And then when I was in New York, uh, that was amazing because New York, if you've never lived there, is the most amazing, dynamic, immersive, visceral place on the planet. I loved it. So I kept writing there and, and sort of worked, you know, crap jobs. I did like, you know, catering and, and bartending and it was a pretty interesting experience and, and in that time I met uh, the love of my life uh, my fiance now and uh, we began dating and, and I directed my first project which was uh, a teaser sort of for the the project I talked about the first one the, um, the sort of chase story set in, in the dark ages and uh, yeah, so, and the guy who directed the Richard the Lionheart films was out in L.A., so I, I came out and showed him the teaser, and I went to a premiere of another film I did, and I brought her with me, and we sort of um, felt this energy when we were here. Like, we literally were cruising up the five as, again, that same skyline appeared on the horizon, and, you know, you see the U.S. Bank building, and we sort of looked at each other, and we, we knew that we were moving to Los Angeles. So yeah, so we did, I think within two months after that moment. So uh, so now I'm, I'm in Los Angeles and I've, I've made this teaser and I, and I have sort of this body of work. Um, and I, I got a pretty good team together once I get back to Los Angeles and I have, a, you know, I have wonderful agents and I have, I have great managers. So I'm getting a lot of cool opportunities in that way, which, you know, I dreamed of when I was here the first time. I so desperately wanted to have a great team that I liked and that got me great opportunities. And I just, try as I might, was not able to make it happen. Um, But when we moved back, they just kind of all fell in place, you know, because I had more credits and I guess more confidence. And again, I didn't need acting. I don't need acting. I love acting. I think there'll always be a place for it in, in my life and, and in my heart. But again, I, I understand that as long as I'm creating, I can be happy. I think in the future, I want to act and write and direct. And I don't necessarily want to do one more than the other. I think they all have to exist. I just want to make films that, that have ideas that make the world better. And I feel like we have a lot of problems that are diagnosed and undiagnosed. Uh, and I feel like there's a lot of room to talk about that. And that may not be the most profitable thing. That may not be the first thing that's fast-tracked at the studio. But that's the kind of thing I want to create because that's worth it. And then I'm of service to someone beyond myself. Because I'll tell you what, man. I've been a young, selfish actor pursuing it 
for money or for whatever. And you know, it doesn't feel good. It feels very empty and sad and depressing. And uh, you know, man, when you create something that you believe in, that you think will do some good, there's nothing better than that. That was Greg Manis. For more on him and this episode of the podcast, check out the website, ktla.com slash spoken dreams. Don't forget to follow us and all our KTLA podcasts on Instagram at Twitter at KTLA podcasts. And you can follow me on Instagram at sounds like Bobby. Let me know what you think of this episode. Leave a rating and review wherever you listen. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for listening to this episode of Spoken Dreams. And until next time, break a leg.